God's put on my heart a word to share with you this morning uh, that I've put together over the last uh, few days. And I wanted to pause our series on prayer. I thought this was a moment to pause that and as a church to uh, just have this standalone week. And I've called the message God's comfort for a grieving heart. God's comfort for a grieving heart. Because I know for many of us today, that's where we're at. And for some of us, I think it's important in a church of our size that um, there will be some of you who who probably um, are not necessarily grieving over this. You might be feeling sad because the community is grieving. But for some of you, this might be a message that you store up for another day. Because we know that unfortunately, grief is something that intersects all of our lives. I'm sure a number of you have had moments in your past where you've really struggled with grief. Um, And unfortunately, there'll be moments in the future where that's the season that you're in for a time. But this message will be practical to many of us today. This is going to be one that we take away and that over the coming days, we live out. That there is actually stuff here that we are going to have to put into practice. I mean, that's the, the pastor's dream is that you actually hear the word and that you apply it in your lives. I mean, we, every week we talk about, here's how you can apply this message. Well, this is one that I think for many of us, with the season that we're in, we will be able to apply straight away. You see, grief is something that's universally shared. It doesn't matter where you are, how old you are, what gender you are, what culture you are, you will experience grief. And while each of us experiences it differently and we respond to it in different ways, um, shaped by who we are and our experiences and our personality, we all experience grief that's associated with loss. And sometimes that grief is the death of a loved one. Sometimes that's the season that you go through uh, and, and, and the sadness that comes with that. Because some, But there are also other things that we grieve. We grieve things that we had. Maybe it was the job that you loved, which you no longer have. Maybe it was a relationship that you're once in that is now ended. Maybe uh, it is something that held great sentimental value to you that you lost. And so there are things, times of grief over a variety of things. But there's also grief, not for things that we had, but grief for things that we hoped for. You see, many of us have had things in our lives that we hoped for, and it was a dream maybe that we expected to come about. It was something that we thought our life would turn out like, um, and it didn't, it didn't happen. And so we have grief that's associated for those things that we'd hoped for, as well as those things that we'd lost. And I think sometimes in church life, and I don't mean specifically this church, I hope, but I'm sure uh, we've had different journeys and different experiences. I think sometimes we don't do grief well in churches. And I think part of that is because we think that if we have faith in God's plan, that we shouldn't be sad about things that happen that uh, somehow the response to uh, grieving is just to think, well, God, I should just trust you. I should just believe that you work all things together for good and, and that I shouldn't be sad about this, this time. But what I want to say to you this morning, and I hope you take this away, is that grief is a normal part of a healthy Christian life. Grief is a normal part of our healthy Christian life. And we're going to see that in God's word this morning. The place I want to start is actually, actually in Matthew 5, and we were there a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the Beatitudes in our previous series. But in the Sermon on the Mount, this incredible sermon that Jesus preaches that fills three chapters of Matthew, the second thing of all the things that he could say, the very second thing he says is, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, God's heart is to bring comfort to those who mourn. That is God's heart for you. Christians with a right relationship with God, who trust in his plan, who have faith that he will work all things together for good, even those people who know his word and who are immersed in it and seek him in prayer regularly, even those people feel the pain and the loss of grief. Even those people feel it. But I want to say to you this morning that there is hope, that God has and gives us hope even in our lots. And so I want to just go with some really practical things this morning. And if you're taking notes, the first thing that I would like you to, to write down um, from God's word is that when we are faced with seasons of grief, that we need to acknowledge grief and give it time. So if you're taking notes, the first point is acknowledge grief and give it time. I think uh, we tend to want to do the opposite with it. I think um, some of us particularly want to grieve really fast. We want to say, okay, that sad thing happened. I felt that loss, but I should be over it now. That was yesterday. Today's a new day, and I just need to, to move on and get over it. And there is a season absolutely to, to move forward with life, but there is also a season to acknowledge grief and to give it time. You see, uh, the Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament, they did this in a really practical way. And there are so many examples of it. We're not going to look at it um, specifically in passages today. But if you have a look during the week at Genesis 50, when Jacob dies, we read that Joseph grieved for seven days. He took seven days to, to just stop and to grieve. When Moses died in Deuteronomy 34, the Israelites all stopped and they grieved for 30 days. When Job, uh, we read in Job chapter 2, um, when Job is experiencing just monumental loss, he actually stops and he sits and he grieves for seven days. And so all these people that we would look up to, Jacob and, and um, the Israelites um, and Job as being models of the faith and, and people that we can look to, uh, all of them knew God, trusted him, and grieved. And the Israelites knew something that I think sometimes we miss. I think we talk about it in, in Christian life. We talk about the seasons. We talk about the, this is a season we're in. I'm not sure necessarily that non-Christians probably use that phrase as much as we do. But the Israelites knew deeply the idea of seasons. And they knew that when sin had entered the world, that unfortunately with sin had come loss and that grief had become a season. Ecclesiastes 3, you'll probably know it, but the words are on the screen. Verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, For everything there is a season, a time for acti every activity under heaven. And then in verse 4, it says this, There is a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. So Ecclesiastes goes on and lists more of these seasons. But rather than just pushing grief to the side, we actually need to see it as a season. We need to acknowledge that we are grieving and we need to give it time. I want to say this morning that I think one of the other things that we tend to do is we tend to minimize it or dismiss it. And what I mean by that is that in any community like ours, by various nature of the different relationships and the different connections, there will be people who are closer to a loss and people who are a bit further away. But just because you're a bit further away doesn't mean that you're not grieving. And I think sometimes we, we tend to say, well, I wasn't 
that close. It's like if you have a if you if you a good friend of yours loses a family member, you would look at it and say, well, they're grieving more than I am. It was their family member. They're in deep grief, and they're grieving more than I am. And I think sometimes when we do that, we position ourselves away from it, and we think, well how I'm feeling is silly. I shouldn't be feeling sad. I shouldn't be feeling shocked. I shouldn't be grieving. But let me put it to you like this. If on your way to church this morning, you slammed your finger in the car door, I'm sure many of you can have felt that. I'm sure perhaps it's happened on your way to church in the past as well. And you've been angry as you walked in the church door because your finger's hurting and it's got a bruise forming under it. And it's got that throbbing hot pain that you get from your finger hurting. If as you're walking into church with that throbbing finger, you come across a number, another member of the church who has a broken arm and they've got their arm in this big cast and they've had surgery the day before, you don't sit there and say, well, my finger's not in pain anymore. This is ridiculous. Look at them. They've got a broken arm. I can't, I, this, this is absurd. I shouldn't be feeling this pain. I have to get rid of it. It's ridiculous. What it shows you is that there are some like that person who might be in more pain. And it's okay to acknowledge the fact that there are going to be levels of pain, or in this case, levels of grief. There will be some who grieve more intensely. And being aware of that is actually important because it enables us to surround them with love, to reach out to them, to care for them. But it doesn't mean that you should entirely dismiss your experience or your pain. It's important that you acknowledge those things. The second point this morning when we're faced with seasons of grief and loss, the second thing that we can take from God's word is that God's design is that we journey together as community. God's design is that we journey together as a community. See, one of the things I've spoken with people over time who have uh, grieved things um, and have lost family members or whatever the case might be, and one of the things that universally that people have said is that it's incredibly lonely that they feel isolated, that they feel lonely, that they feel perhaps sometimes like other people just don't understand, that people are getting on with their life and um, no one understands how they're feeling. And see, God doesn't want us to experience these seasons by ourselves. God doesn't want us to be grieving uh, and feeling lonely. He gives us a community of believers that are to journey together that are walk. When we looked at the Israelites, what did they do? They stopped and they grieved as a community. The, the Jews actually have this phrase called sitting shiva. And what it means is that when there is a loss, a death, that the family gets together and they actually sit for seven days and they grieve together. And then as those days pass, they begin to comfort one another and reflect on their loss and, and, and encourage one another. And God doesn't want us to experience grief on our own. Romans 12, the verse will be up on the screen, but Romans 12 verse 15 says this, speaking about the body of Christ says, be happy with those who are happy. So we are to be happy. We are to celebrate when there are victories, when there are triumphs, but we are also to weep with those who weep. Now you might know Romans 12 pretty well. Because Romans 12 is one of those verses, uh, sorry, passages, chapters that you've probably heard preached on a lot because it is Paul speaking on the body of Christ. And the, the second verse of Romans 12 says this, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. 
So don't think, don't be like this world, but instead be transformed into a new person by allowing God to change the way you think. Paul's telling us to be different. Christian community should look different. We should look different. We should think differently. The world says to you, put your desires first. Put your happiness first. That the highest attribute, the highest thing that you could hope to achieve is your own personal happiness. That your dreams and your desires override everybody else's. That you need to focus on you. That you should focus on you. But instead, in verse 4 of Romans 12, Paul says this, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, you and I. We are many parts of one body. See this, though, we all belong to each other. You see, Paul paints this picture of us connected like a body, that we actually belong to one another, that our role is to serve one another and to be served by other parts of the body. And so we are not intended to go through these seasons and these times in our lives isolated and lonely. We're encouraged to be part of that body. And when we are, Paul challenges us in verse 9 of Romans 12 to not just pretend to love others. So not just give it lip service, not just say that we do, not just smile and wave at them on a Sunday, but rather that we are to really love them, really love them. And what's one of the ways we can do that is by being happy with those who are happy and by weeping with those who weep. You see, the call, the charge for us as a body of Christ, as part of that body, as a church community, is to not seek our selfish desires, to not aspire above everything else for our own happiness, but rather to put others first to journey through life with them, to deal with a bit of inconvenience in our own circumstances in order that we might serve and really love one another, really love one another. The third thing this morning that God's word says to us in times of grief is that we should immerse ourselves in God's word. Now, I worry this morning that that's kind of like the good Christian answer, isn't it? Seasons of joy, read God's word. Seasons of pain, read God's word. It's like the, the little kid, and I'm sure it's my kids in kids' church, who just answers Jesus to every question because they know that they'll, they'll get them right. But it's not that at all. I want to say to you today that God's word, immersing ourselves in God's word is crucial, is so essential in every season of life, but particularly when you are dealing with seasons of grief. We had uh, pools growing up, backyard pools growing up. Um, the first, what, 14 years of my life was spent in Sydney where you could actually swim in a backyard pool. Uh, we had a backyard pool when we moved to Canberra and there was literally a three-hour window each year. That was like the early January afternoon between two and five where the pool was actually warm enough. But there was actually times in Sydney where we could swim in the pool. We, we swam, we spent a lot of hours in our pool in Sydney. And I remember one of my favourite things to do it was to dive in under the water, to lie on the bottom of the pool and to look up through the water. And you'd look up at the trees above the pool. You'd look up at the light as it, it reflected through the water. And you could, like, you, I mean, obviously you'd often be doing a competition with a sibling about who could hold their breath the longest or whatever it was. But I used to love just lying there 
and just looking up and letting the water filter what I saw. And God's word is like that because I think plenty of us are like the, the, what I've become as an adult, which is when my kids are at the pool, I might dip my toes in. I might go to the edge and if the water's kind of warm, I might sit at the edge of the pool just with my legs dangling, getting a little bit wet. And I think some of us are like that with God's word in that rather than fully immersing ourselves in it, we just dip our toes in. We know a bit, maybe it's that we put our legs in, we're at church often on a Sunday, we hear God's word preached, we, we think about it. But then we go about our life and we go about the seasons of life without actually immersing ourselves in it. Because when we immerse ourselves in it, what does God's word do? It changes the way we see things. It changes our view just like the water does. It, it reflects and it shapes things. And that's what we need to be doing because when we do that, what is shaping our life is the truth in God's word, not what the world presents to us as truth. It's actually the promises of God's word, not what we think the world is promising us. And so my encouragement to you is to properly immerse yourself in God's word because when you do, you will see this image of a God who consistently and faithfully shows compassion to those who grieve. It is all throughout scripture, this picture of a God who is compassionate and patient and faithful to those who grieve. I want to just give you a few examples of that. We know King David, we know that he knew the ups and downs of life, didn't he? He knew seasons of joy and success. He knew lots of seasons of pain. And in Psalm 6 verse 6, he actually speaks of this time where he is sobbing so much. He describes that his bed is drenched with his tears. And yet in the midst of this, he knew the compassion of God. And in Psalm 56 verse 8, he says this, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. So he speaks of a God who doesn't miss a moment of your anguish. He speaks of a God who doesn't miss a single tear that you shed. He is a God, like I said last week, that is near, that he is great, but he is here with us. He doesn't miss any of your anguish. In fact, I love the way that David speaks of it, that he keeps track of your sorrows, that he has collected your tears in a bottle and he records each one of them because he cares for you and he shows the compassion. But then we see God incarnate. We see, it, we see God in Jesus as he walks as a man. And what does he do? He consistently responds in compassion. If you look at um, just about any of uh, the miracles that we read in the gospels that Jesus performs, so many of them say that his heart was moved with compassion, that he hears and he sees stories of need. He sees loss. He sees grief and he sees pain. And he's not not emotional. He's not a God who says, well, I get over it because I can fix that. But he is a God whose heart is moved with compassion. A couple of weeks ago, I want to say a couple of weeks ago, it was actually Easter. So it was quite a few weeks ago. It just feels like it was a couple of weeks ago. But at Easter, um, we spoke about Lazarus. And it's in John 11, and um, we know the story, but Jesus is sent for, and he comes, and he comes uh, too late, but right on time. 
And Lazarus is now in the, in the tomb and he's starting to smell. Remember the uh, King James says he stinketh. It's like m- probably my favorite, favorite verse in scripture. Um, Lazarus stinketh. And Jesus arrives and he sees uh, Mary and Martha both in grief. They're both saying what some of us might be saying, where were you? Why didn't you do something? If you were here, you could have fixed it. And what I love is that Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus. So he knows that that's the end of this story is that Lazarus is raised. But he doesn't say to them, get over it. He doesn't go, oh, come on, I, I can raise Lazarus. It's okay. What does it say to us? It says Jesus wept. So he sees the pain and the grief of Mary. And he weeps. He weeps. Even though he knew what was coming, he weeps. Isn't that an incredible reminder for us that the heart of God towards you is one of compassion? He sees your pain and he sees your anguish. He sees your tears. And his heart is moved towards you. Scripture paints that picture clearly. As we finish this morning, I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts about the comfort that is brought. The first one is that God sees you in times of grief. God sees you in times of grief. As I said, he sees every tear. Psalm 34, 18 says this to us. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So God sees you. If you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling like God doesn't care or he doesn't see you or he doesn't know the pain you're going through, God sees you and you can be confident that he moved, his heart is moved in compassion towards you. The second thing is that we see you. So God sees you and we see you. Chaz, can you come? We're not a church who wants you to feel uh, anonymous or isolated or just like one of a crowd, we see you. And there are people who are here that are ready to connect with you, to love you, to journey with you through whatever season, whether it's joy and laughter, we will get in on that joy and laughter with you. If it's grief and pain and loss, we want to journey through that stuff with you as well. And I would say to you this morning, sometimes we just need the courage to reach out. Sometimes when we're feeling isolated and lonely, it's because we haven't kind of taken that step of wanting to connect. We've kind of waited for everyone to connect with us without connecting with them. And so I'd encourage you that if you're feeling like that, join a connect group. There are places, and you can chat with people in connect groups, but they are places where people get alongside you, they'll pray with you, they'll check in with you during the week because they're wanting to know how you're going, where they'll share a meal together, they'll Uh, open God's word together. It is a great place to be connected and to be loved and to be cared for. Join a team. There's a lot of fun being on teams. But again, it's another place where you get to have those relationships with people, where you get to put out chairs. You can put out chairs with me uh, before a service. You can join a kids team or a worship team and just forge those relationships and those deep connections, which will mean that when you are in seasons of joy, there'll be a team of people that are joyous with you. And when you're in seasons of pain, there'll be a team of people who are journeying that, who are lifting you up when you can't lift yourself up. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is working in you. So God sees you, we see you, and the Holy Spirit is at work within you. I love the fact 
that in John 11, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. You see, when we know Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And He is the Comforter. He is the one that brings a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense. And the Comforter comes. And it doesn't mean no more grief. It means comfort in grief. And so the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And if you're feeling distant from God, you might be thinking, well, I don't don't feel like that right now. I want to pray for you if that's you this morning. I want to pray for you. But lastly, what the Holy Spirit does is it points you to the hope that we have in God's ultimate promise. The Holy Spirit in you points you to this promise, that God's ultimate promise to us. You see, in John 11, when Jesus goes to Mary and Martha and he goes to raise Lazarus, he says to them, he says to the disciples, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. You see, I'm comforted by Jesus' approach. I'm comforted by the fact that he didn't roll in and tell them to get over their grief, to stop the crying, to, to, to uh, just deal with the pain. He didn't say that. He comes and he has compassion and he weeps with them. But also at the right time, he speaks truth. And I think we need to be careful with this because the last thing to say to someone who is in the midst of their grief just shortly after whatever the loss has happened, the wrong thing to say is, don't be upset, just trust Jesus. Don't be upset, just trust Jesus. He's not. Jesus says, what does he do? He weeps with them. And sometimes that's all we can do is we actually don't know what to say, but we just sit there and we let them know that they're not alone in their grief. But at the right time, what the Holy Spirit does and what our Christian community does is redirects us gets alongside us and gently points us to the promise of Christ, that those who know Him and are found in Him can take confidence in the fact that He has defeated death, that we step into life, that we have this gift and this promise of eternal life, that we can look ahead in complete hope, even in seasons of grief, and we can await the day that we read of in Revelation 21.4, which promises that He, that God will wipe every tear from their eyes, from your eyes, from my eyes. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And that all of these things are gone forever because we're in His perfect presence. We can be redirected and pointed through the power of the Holy Spirit through our community to that day. And what a glorious promise that is. Let's pray. Oh God, we, we are so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful that you are not a God who is aloof, that you are not a God who is cold, that you are not a God who, who demands our worship but doesn't have a heart turned towards us. We thank you that you are so great that your word spoke and the universe came into being that you breathed your breath and we came to life. We thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. And yet you love us. And yet you record each one of our tears 
that you see each moment of pain, that we see this reflected through Jesus who, whose heart was constantly moved with compassion. And we thank you that today, in our time of grief, that God, your heart is full of compassion towards us. Lord, that you see our sadness, that you see our pain, that you see our tears. Lord, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit alive within us, that is the comforter, that brings us peace, that we can look to and we can hope in and we can be reminded of your promise, which is the promise and the gift of life for those who are found in you. That Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life and that whoever puts their hope in you will live. And Lord, we, we look to you this morning. Father, make us a community that reflects your love. Make us a community that has compassion for those who at this time are weeping has compassion for those who are in tears. Lord, help us to know how we can operate in such a way that we reflect you and we reflect your love. We trust you, God. We look to, this, to you this morning. We ask you for comfort. We look to you this morning and we ask that in this season of grief, Lord God, that you would walk alongside us, that you would hold on to that promise God, that you are near to the brokenhearted. And so we look to you this morning. We pray that you would be near. We thank you that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.